Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's give a shout out to our super producer, non-curse enthusiast, noted for that, <laughs> uh, Mr. Max Williams. Max shouts at Clouds Williams. Mm-hmm. I, I do yell at Clouds often. Well, they've had, got it coming. They know what they yeah. do. You know? Especially when those, those ones that just insist upon themselves, you know? So highfalutin. And a high and mighty. I love clouds. I, you know, it's a story for a different day, but the science of how people began recognizing clouds is itself a great idea for an episode. Folks, if you have not heard part one of Tecumseh's Curse, we cannot wait for you to explore it with us. Please tune in and listen to that episode. It gives you all the context you need to know before we get to the really juicy stuff tonight. Uh, I am Ben Bullen, joined as always with the one and only Mr. Noel Brown. That is I, yes. Hoorah. I finally got it, I think. Um, So we'll start with uh, our boy, William Henry Harrison, uh, the uh, Max described uh, heel of this story. Um, As many folks might know, uh, he did become uh, the president, but his time in office was uh, blissfully short. 
uh, like really short, uh, about a month short. Uh, and while many folks believe he died because he was a 68-year-old man living uh, during a time when that in and of itself could be something of a death sentence due to a lack of modern medicine, um, he also had this sort of unusual hobby of just kind of hanging out in the rain, yeah. <laughs> going for night walks, I imagine. That is largely uh, what uh, led to his downfall, in addition to perhaps uh, this curse in question. There we go. Yeah, we're going to talk about the nature of curses today, because as we said in part one, a lot of people in the U.S., fellow ridiculous historians and future ridiculous historians, uh, have heard the phrase Tecumseh's curse, a.k.a. the curse of Tippecanoe, but haven't really heard how that became a thing and why people tend to believe in it. But it it is a part of American presidential lore that is up there with the um, the list that you will always see of the, um, the comparisons between JFK and Abraham Lincoln. There are a lot of things that you can string some red string around, like events that can appear to be part of a pattern, depending upon your belief. William Henry Harrison, does he believe in curses? We don't know. He is His presidency is most famous for the sheer abbreviation of it. He made it, uh, he made it a month with the top job before he died. And a lot of people, like you said, Noel, think it's something you could chalk up to his age at the time. He was 68 or his um, his hobby of exposing himself to the elements. Uh, he would wander around days and nights regardless of the weather. It's kind of like an inspiration for the post office, if I'm being honest. Exactly. A bit of a goth type fellow. Uh, Martin Kelly uh, writes in Thought Co. Uh, in his article, Did Tecumseh's Curse Kill Seven U.S. Presidents? Uh, Tecumseh's Curse, also known as the Curse of Tippecanoe, stems from an 1809 dispute between future U.S. President William Henry Harrison and Shawnee indigenous leader Tecumseh. Some believe the curse is the reason that Harrison and every following president up to Kennedy, who was elected in a year ending in zero, died in office. Right. Yeah. So a little numerology uh, playing in here as well. Right. Right. Again, the perception of a pattern is key to this. And of course, uh, as established earlier in part one, the ratio of presidency survival rates is really messed up. Uh, there's a very, very small sample size, still less than 50 people, but eight of those people have died in office. Uh, we joked that that makes the job slightly less secure than uh, the life of a podcaster, but only just. Uh, here's here's the issue, right? Uh, this dispute between Harrison and Tecumseh is... Uh, is a key piece of American history, and apparently, according to true believers, it's also a beef that led to supernatural consequences. So, no, Max, maybe we start with the concept of this curse, because despite the name, a lot of us may be surprised to learn that uh, this curse doesn't come from Tippecanoe. Instead, it comes from the battle at the River Thames, not the Thames in London which I went to recently. And I, I got to tell you, man, that's a dirty river. 
Yeah, it sure is. Uh, call back to our old episode on the great stink. Of oh, that's London. right. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, uh, it's still pretty dirty to this day, but back in the day, boy, that thing was, uh, the Thames was teeming uh, with uh, absolute filth uh, and, you know, sewage and the so- like. Yeah, this is not that Tim's. Not this that Tim's. Not that Tim's. Tim's. Different Tim's. Tim's. Yeah. Um, but uh, Martin Kelly once again writes that during the War of 1812, Harrison. Um, really doubled down on his anti-indigenous attitudes. Um, He defeated the British and the tribes that had aligned with them, as we also mentioned in the previous episode, during that battle of the Thames, not that Thames. Um, This uh, uh, further defeat and the loss of more land to the American government um, is apparently what drove Tecumseh's brother, the prophet, Tanks Kwatawa, to place a death curse on all future U.S. presidents that were elected in years ending in a zero. Very interesting that they would choose to, to, to add that caveat. Why not just all future U.S. presidents? But perhaps that was something uh, in the nature of the curse itself. You had to have some numerological element. It makes... Uh, it makes the pattern work, right? That's how they have to recognize it. Uh, and also... Harrison, by the way, he is inaugurated as president in 1841, but he Mm. is elected in 1840. So that's why it it descends from Harrison. I love that you're bringing up Tenskatawa because he is one of the more um, fascinating characters of this piece of history to me. And Agreed. Yeah, and he's also like, okay, we said the name for the curse is – weird and doesn't really work because it's not based on Tippecanoe. And it's called uh, Tecumseh's Curse, but Tecumseh isn't the one who did the curse. According to the story, Tenskwatawa uh, enacted the curse, placing that on on the placing this death, this supernatural death upon every U.S. president, as you said, only elected in years starting or ending in a zero. And we also have to remember a very important part about how history is made here. Everything we discussed about Tenskawatawa in our previous episode shows that he couldn't really do magic. Uh, he got exposed as a fraud uh, with that with that wild attack on on Harrison's camp, uh, where he promised that he would give people magic powers and failed. And then he skedaddled, he left town. So we want to be aware of the context, but we also want to realize that a lot of the people responsible for creating the lore of Tecumseh's curse, they were exoticizing Native Americans. They were like, ooh, watch out for all this spooky Native magic, because it can't be true that people in the most stressful job in the U.S. often just sometimes die. It has to be magic. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, let's go through some of these examples. Uh, Many of these biographies coming from the whitehouse.gov. Let's start uh, with, of course, 1840, William Henry Harrison. His bio um, actually picks up right after the Battle of the Thames. Um, and here's a quote from from the, uh, the bio on whitehouse.gov. Uh, Thereafter, Harrison returned to civilian life. The Whigs, uh, in need of a national hero, nominated him for president in 1840. He won by a majority of less than 150,000, but 
swept. This is fun, fun political maneuverings here. Swept the uh, the notorious electoral college, uh, two hundred and thirty four to sixty. But before he had been in office a single month, he caught a cold that developed into pneumonia. And on April fourth, eighteen forty one, he died. The first president, in fact, to die in office, and with him, the Whig Party, the Whig program, the Whig ideology died as well. Yeah, yeah. And the Whigs have been sort of struggling for a while. And this was kind of their death knell. And and some people, okay, so if we try to trace back the causes of Harrison's death, if we put on our old Casey Pegram, Casey on the case, Law and Order vibes. Thank you, Max. (laughs) what, What we see is that a guy named Daniel Webster he writes a very long inauguration speech for Harrison. And Harrison goes and gives this speech in its entirety on a a freezing, rainy day in March. Or not freezing, but very cold, because it was still raining. And a lot of people will say that because he was exposed to the elements for so long, he got pneumonia, and he took ill and died as a result. Other people say it was still the weather, but... uh, The weather got to him not during that inauguration speech, but during one of his long ambulations. He took later that month, and he didn't dress appropriately for the elements. That's the more popular theory because that long walk uh, is closer in precedent to his actual death. I'm just going to say it. With how this dude was acting at 68 years old, it was going to happen. Right. He just would go not walking in the rain. A particularly good steward of his, uh, his personal health, this guy. And let's also remember that he had a very demanding social schedule. It's all gas, no breaks. Uh, it, the, the walk theory goes to March 24th, 1841, because he always would take a daily morning walk to the local markets. This is also when security for the POTUS was way lower than it is today. I mean, exactly. imagine if you live in D.C. and President Joe Biden like comes into the target. And just says, uh, you know, I don't have a shopping list. I'm just here for the vibes. I walked well, over. And heck, with with Biden's, you know, advanced age being, you know, easily what almost 30, t- t- over 20 years, uh, this guy's senior. Um, he's probably almost more along the lines of like today, what would be considered an advanced age for a president. Th- this would have been considered back in those days. So extra care you would one would think would have been taken and that people wouldn't have been letting this this character just wander around in the muck, you know. Mm -hmm. But this is also, here's the other weird thing. If you look at the medical treatment of Harrison after he took ill, then you see that bloodletting was still very much considered legitimate medicine. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the doctors doctors were bleeding him uh, starting on Sunday, March 28th, and then they they eventually stopped, uh, but— Bloodletting for a sick person is usually not going to help. It may actively harm them. Do, do we have any examples of any time that this method actually functionally helped anybody throughout history? Uh, I believe that there are. Well, it depends. Are we talking about 
a lot of blood or are we talking about a small amount? Just the practice in and of itself. I mean, it seems like it was based on just junk science from the start and more kind of uh, superstitions or things that just weren't confirmed by any actual, you know, real uh, research or, or, or science. I'm just wondering if there's ever an instance where some small amount of bloodletting actually helped somebody out. Well, there's things, not really. I mean, there there are examples in the modern day, like, Taking someone's blood to run blood tests, that can be a life-saving oh, yeah, procedure. Sure. Uh, well, that's but that's not what we're talking that's about like here. The closest thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, blood work is, is crucial, but that again involves getting to the root of the problem rather than that being the uh remedy in and of itself. So here's my pitch. Uh the curse to uh the curse of Tippecanoe or Tecumseh's curse is real, but not in the way we understand. Harrison died because uh, his his doctor was a vampire. Okay, fair yeah. enough. No one yeah. fact check us. Oh, but this is kind of a listicle episode too, folks. We're giving you more and more examples of people who supposedly fell to Tecumseh's curse. And surprise, surprise, one of the most famous guys who fell to Tecumseh's curse is uh, the famous former amateur wrestler, Abraham Lincoln. Fun fact, was also president for a minute. The reach on that guy. Ben, is, I know we've already kind of uh, touched on this a little bit, but do you have any theories, or, or Max as well, on why this curse got lumped in with Tecumseh rather than the more spiritual leader of that kind of movement? Yeah, it's because Tecumseh was the more important political figure, and so the one that would be more readily identifiable to the American public. So really, it's just kind of a buzz thing, like almost like a yeah, branding. That makes sense. Right. Um, and it was also like just in kind of the story, it's William Henry Harrison, it's Tecumseh. They are the opposites. And uh, the prophet's kind of just like a secondary character. There actually becomes a point where the prophet actively disobeys Tecumseh's military strategy, where he essentially, they, they, they part ways because he's no longer of use to Tecumseh because he's basically uh, crapped the bed to such a degree that he has become politically uh, a liability for Tecumseh at this point, right? Yeah. Because nobody trusts him anymore. And Tecumseh's whole strategy relies on good diplomacy. And good relationships. Yeah, even even people who had the prevailing racism at the time would have said to their peers, Tecumseh is a competent tactician. We can is, work with him. You can we, work we, with him. It's almost like he's a human being. Almost, but right. not quite. But Lincoln, right? Um, the uh, the idea that Lincoln, uh, who was, of course, elected president on November 6th, 1860, uh, a year ending in zero, that his downfall, his demise uh, specifically was tied to this curse um, is, is something that, you know, kind of holds in this, this whole lore that we're talking about here. On Good Friday, April 14th, 1865, Abraham Lincoln is assassinated, the victim of an assassin's bullet at uh, Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. Uh, the assassin in question, of course, John Wilkes Booth, who famously jumped out of his box seat uh, and fell to the stage and I believe broke his leg. Isn't that right? Six yeah. Imperatoranus, thus to all tyrants. 
That's right. Yeah. So um, real, real splashy showing there uh, from from John Wilkes Booth, um, who, who was an actor. I'm, I'm sorry, it wasn't. W- w- he jumped from from some height, right? Yeah. Because uh, yeah, he Lincoln, jumped from the balcony after he the shot balcony. Lincoln. That's but Lincoln himself was also in a balcony seat. Yes. He was in a box seat. So I'm assuming that the uh, balcony in question from uh, Wilkes Booth was adjacent in some way, and then he tried to make his daring escape, but uh, kind of botched the landing. I mean, there, I believe there was a lot of showmanship too. Like there wasn't any trying of like Wilkes Booth was not trying to sneak away. He no, he was trying to make a show he of it. Did it. Yeah, hundred exactly. percent. Yeah, he, he exclaimed that quote that you just said, um, like you know, very actively uh, and loudly in actory fashion. Yeah, which shows you again the hazards of hiring <laughs> hiring actors to do a hitman's job. Uh, yeah, that's why Liam Neeson would actually not be. Not be good in a taken situation. Probably not. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Also, of course, the death of Lincoln does not have the effect that Booth wanted. It removes the possibility of a uh, more compassionate peace between the North and the South. Now it's a blood feud. Very polarizing. Um, Yeah, it has the exact opposite effect. Um, Moving on to uh, 1880 with uh, James Garfield. Um, Yeah, and uh, obviously uh, very easy to make the connection of being associated with a certain lasagna-eating cat who does not care for Mondays. Uh, Not sure if if, if, uh, Jim Davis named Garfield after the president. Uh, Unclear. I don't know if you know anything about this. Uh, this Max, but uh, not not something that I've seen any writing about. <laughs> no, nah, I haven't either. But I'll say this right now. James Garfield is actually kind of cool. I actually like exactly. James Garfield, which really sucks that he's on this list, though. It's it's weird, though, because we're also looking at him in comparison to his peers and other presidents of the day. So the bar to be cool is very Ben, what low. are you saying? Gilded Age presidents weren't good? You know, <laughs> who are we to judge? I'm not out here trying to get cursed. Hey, I'll say this right now. Rutherford B. Hayes really liked animals. Yeah, sure. Which makes him probably number two of the Gilded Age, which is pretty bad if you're they, Rutherford B. Hayes is your number two president just because he likes animals. And Adolf Hitler was a vegetarian. But I'm just saying, like, <laughs> quite the painter. <laughs> he wasn't good enough. His, yeah. no, but, no, no, he wasn't. He wasn't good enough to make it. He, he didn't have a career in art ahead of him. But uh, they ought to really refer to this as the beshitted age. There we go. Presidents. I love it. Yeah. I love also that the English language has more than 20 more than 23 words to describe something having shit on it or something having shit thrown on it. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, we've got certain uh, uh, incorrect um, uh, pieces of lore around certain indigenous cultures having lots of words for snow or things that they are surrounded by. Um, so despite that being often much uh, overreported, um, it does make sense that America somewhat mired in, in crap uh, throughout our, our troubled <laughs> history would have so many words for that scenario. I just, I'm so happy you guys use the word beshitted. It's one of my favorite it's a fun one 20 something words but also we should mention by the way that in the deaths of harrison in the death of lincoln and in the upcoming death of garfield spoiler alert actually it's kind of what the episode's about <laughs> no, no no one at this point is claiming there's a curse by the way this is a very key piece of the story. We're going to get to that when it really becomes a news item, right? Mm-hmm. So then they kind of, oh, what about that thing? That'd be fun to write about. So Garfield uh, is elected to the United States uh, presidency in 1880. Um, he serves nine terms up to that point in the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, and before uh, being uh, the president, he was already a pretty accomplished academic. Um, he was a college professor sir and also served as the president of the Ohio State Senate. Uh, he was on the right side of the Civil War um, and eventually did become a major general as well. So very storied uh, and uh, diverse career in, in public life, this guy. Yeah, exactly. He was a career bureaucrat, a career legislature. He, this is the kind of One guy- One of the you, good ones, though, it would seem, especially given the time. This is a guy you would want to be president because of his experience. And and at this point, by the way, um, the, US was, the U.S. public was not as dead set against college professors being president as they are now. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There is some division around that. The idea of like academics being too- 
soft or something, right? Yeah. And this is also, by the way, one thing that's very impressive about Garfield is that he is not what we would call a Nepo baby today, right? He is mm-hmm. not born into some bizarre dynasty like the Clintons or the Bushes or the Kennedys. He comes from a family that you would call like working class, working class to middle class. His dad dies when he's only two. And Garfield had to put himself through school. One of the one of the tales of Garfield lore is that he was able to pay for his education by learning how to drive canal boat teams, which is mm. and Max, you noted this too. It's essentially um helping ship stuff on rivers. So th- these are still during the days of the great Mississippi River uh boat trade. Very Mark Twain-ish, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are statements that speak to his character. He does seem to be a guy who is really thinking through not what what is good for me, but what is good for this American experiment. People were trying to make him president. They were pushing him, and they were like, Jimmy G, Jimmy G, you got to be president. And he would, for a while, the candidate doth protest too much because he said, no, there's another guy. His name's John Sherman. He is way more qualified. He will be a better president for the United States. That's from Jeff Jacoby over at the Boston Globe. Well, you love to see that, don't you? Someone, I'm always a little suspicious, I think as we all are, of people who seek that level of, of, of uh, you know, pub- public office and they're like working towards it because it often seems to be a little bit self-serving. When you have someone that's like saying, no, 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 this other guy's got, is better qualified, this isn't for me, uh, you do tend to, and they're pushed into it because of others seeing in them perhaps things they don't see in themselves, that always impresses me, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and strikes me as a better qualification than someone who spent their entire life working towards, you know, holding this kind of office. I think it's indicative of character, yeah. And do we know if this was false modesty or was it genuine a genuine case of moral values? Unclear at this point, but let's err on the side of optimism. And uh, I love the way you put this here, Max. Unfortunately for Garfield, despite his protest, he was nominated. He was elected. He was also elected in a year that ended with zero. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, July 2nd, 1881, uh, at a Washington railroad station, um, an attorney uh, who had sought a consular post shot President Garfield. Uh, He was mortally wounded once again, even a flesh wound at this time, you know, could uh, eventually lead to uh, sepsis and and death. Um, He is mortally wounded. He lay in the White House uh, for several weeks before passing away and succumbing to his his, um, wounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And his death they is, couldn't find the bullet right like they right. couldn't find his, it yeah. his death is fascinating because uh it factors in another luminary of the day alexander graham bell has invented uh, an induction balance electrical device he's like the tony stark of this era totally and so he tries to find the bullet in garfield and he fails Garfield is taken to the New Jersey shore 
on September 6th. And there was they, a very different Jersey Shore back in those it was, days, I imagine. It was. And Much they were, more idyllic. And they were thinking. We say, we say Garfield's not lifting up his shirt and showing off his abs. Never we don't know. know. Well, he's probably lifting up his, someone's lifting up his shirt. They're like, where the fuck is this Digging bullet? for the bullet. Yeah. yeah exactly. But this was still the time when people thought changing your weather or changing the weather you encounter yep. could have curative effects. So A like climate, the exactly. Consumption like going to treatments mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. Taking in the air. Uh, this doesn't work. It looks like maybe he's recuperating, but that was just wishful thinking on the part of medical professionals and political supporters. What was happening is he was still slowly dying. On September 19th, 1881, he dies from an internal hemorrhage. That's right. He does succumb to uh, to that that gunshot. So it's, it's a slow and, um, and steady painful. decline. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. I would imagine quite painful. Um, moving on, 1900, we've got William McKinley. McKinley, uh, not so much of a hero uh, of, of, of our story, uh, in so much as uh, Garfield was, at least. Um, he's considered by many to be one of the last of this era we've been describing, the beshitted age. Uh, or Gilded Age, um, which is considered to be a particularly stellar era for American history and politics. Oh, I I do have to say, though, you're absolutely right in the setup. I do have to say for Garfield, I'm pretty sure the doctors killed him because they kept digging into his guts to try to find the bullet. That's exactly right. They they were digging holes in the guy. But with McKinley, something very different... uh, (laughs) He is a child of corruption. I mean, he's a, he benefits greatly from the corrupt election of 1896. And a lot of people, I see your note here, Max, a lot of people will tell you to this day that the actual election, if it had not been rigged, would have gone to William Jennings Bryan. And to be absolutely clear, I 100% agree with that. And we're going to have that part two eventually, right? Of all the presidents yes. who ran a bunch of, all the dudes who ran for president a bunch of times. So we're just waiting on the William Jennings Bryan part. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got it. I got it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I haven't gotten, I haven't done that one yet, Max, because there weren't any good mistranslations. But we will, <laughs> we will, we will have, some, you could call it a mistranslation of justice. No. Um, but yeah, we have a, we have Jennings coming on the way and it's going to be a banger. Uh, also, he, uh, McKinley isn't super photogenic. McKinley looks like a meme of an evil guy. Uh, <laughs> his it, fingers steepled a la Mr. Burns and the like. Just so, you know, uh, he's drawn comparisons to the, the penguin. Uh, if you pull up one of the most popular pictures of McKinley, like the stuff you see on his, on his Wikipedia page or on his whitehouse.gov entry, then he looks exactly like Colin Farrell in the Batman playing the penguin. Oh yeah, which is uh, some pretty impressive. Uh, um, it was practical great. effects in terms of that. Like when he was, when I saw the original Batman movie, I had no idea that was Colin Farrell uh, for quite a while until I saw the credits. And they've got him uh, appearing in a, ser- a series coming up uh, where he uh, is that character. So kudos. Uh, it's called acting, and also with the aid of some really good makeup effects. Oh, you know, I was also. Uh, tremendously impressed with um, 
Not Robert De Niro. Robert Downey Jr. in Oppenheimer. That's what I've heard. I didn't I haven't recognize yet, the guy from the be- in the beginning. It was it was fascinating. So well done, Rob. It's tough to make a living as an actor, and I wish you continued further success. Big fan of practical effects versus like the CGI type stuff. Even you know, I'm sorry not to get off track, but uh, in the Maestro, a lot of a lot has been made of Bradley Cooper's nose, his Fudd's prosthetic nose. But when you really go back and look at footage of uh, Leonard Bernstein, um, that feature really does sell the uh, the the role. It really does. They they did quite a good job of it, and I can understand why they decided to go that route. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of or this tendency to always look kind of villainous in photographs. It's what our pal Max calls James C. Calhoun syndrome. We're an audio podcast. We also want this journey to be your own. So take a look at James Calhoun and let us know if you agree. Yeah, James C. Calhoun. The dude's so messed up that Andrew Jackson looked at him and said, like, dude, you're fucked up, man. <laughs> right. Like, you know you're bad if Andrew Jackson is uncomfortable with the things you're doing. Andrew Jackson calls you problematic. You might It might be time for some self-inventory. So McKinley is openly a pro-business president uh, when he's first elected in 1896 in that corrupt election because the corporate powers that be want a guy who will accede to their rule, right? That's what corporate powers historically want. They want all the advantages of a democracy or of a stable government, and they want all the disadvantages or obligations of that government to fall on the people rather than the companies. That's not a hot take, and it's not, I mean, I wouldn't even ascribe morals to it. It's just what those organizations are built to do. The biggest event of McKinley's presidency is the Spanish-American War. And like Tecumseh's curse, the name is confusing. The Spanish-American War did not take place in Spain. It was not fought in the United States. It was in Cuba, in the Philippines, in Puerto Rico. It was a 100-day war across these areas, and it greatly expanded the overseas holdings of the U.S., that's right. And McKinley would then uh, go on to run against, uh, once again, William Jennings Bryan and win re-election in 1900. Ding, ding, ding. Ending with zero. Um, so here is where the curse uh, comes into the discussion. And uh, here's a quote from the White House Gov uh, bio. Um, His second term came to a tragic end in September 1901. He was standing in a receiving line at the Buffalo Pan-American Exposition when a deranged anarchist, wow, um, shot him, I mean, okay, fair enough, shot him twice. Um, He died, he succumbed to his wounds eight days later, again, presumably a painful demise. Um, uh, His death led to Theodore Roosevelt then becoming the uh, youngest president in American history. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, There's some trivia for you. Everyone always thinks it's JFK. JFK is the youngest elected president. Right. And uh, Theodore is the youngest to actually assume the presidency. So then we have, all right, and still at this time, by the way, spoiler, folks, nobody's talking about Tecumseh's curse. Tecumseh's old beans. No one cares about this dude right now. Fast forward, 1920. Uh, One of the also-rans of the American presidency, Warren G. Harding, uh, he has a quote from his own perspective, his own retrospect, uh, where 
it gives us a sense of how sort of beige and blasé his presidency was. Here it goes. America's present need is not heroics, but healing. Not nostrums, but normalcy. Not revolution, but restoration. Not agitation, but adjustment. Not surgery, but serenity. <clears throat> not the dramatic, but the dispassionate. Not experiment, but equipoise. Not submergence in internationality, but sustainment in triumphant na- nationality. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's a real snoozer. Um, Unlike his predecessor, however, McKinley, uh, Harding was pretty clearly um, very pro-commerce, very pro-business. And he had a much more presidential vibe, let's just say. An Ohio admirer, uh, Harry Doherty, started to promote Harding for the 1920 uh, Republican nomination because he felt as though he looked like a president. Okay. Really great, you know, bona fides for uh, for, for doing the job. <laughs> Not. Right. And uh, one time he told his then Secretary of Commerce, Herbert Hoover, If you knew of a great scandal in our administration, would you, for the good of the country and the party, uh, expose it publicly? Would you you bury it? And Hoover's like, do the right thing, dude. Go public. And then Harding's like, I don't don't want to, though. No. No, I'm good. Oh, and he dies in August of 1923 in San Francisco. Heart attack. No one says there's a curse. But Calvin Coolidge becomes president. Which is sort of a Calvin Coolidge episode. Yeah, we did. We did a Calvin Coolidge is kind of cool. We did a Hoover Dam episode too. I mean, we're running through the hits here. We're building the nineteen twenties presidents. We've talked about all of them, even though they don't really do anything. Fair. Um, well, we're out of the twenties now and into the forties. Yeah, uh, the the Roaring Forty. No, I think it's the Roaring's over by this point. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Um, this one's a little bit longer, so we're going to do our best to kind of uh, be uh, as pithy about it as we can. We have mentioned before that uh, this president, Franklin D. Roosevelt, um, was president so many times that it requ- it caused the laws on how many times one can hold this office um, to, to actually be changed. Yeah. Look, often in these divided political times, people hate to uh, to point out or to be reminded that the New Deal absolutely saved the United States. They hate no question. To be- yeah, they hate created to be jobs, helped you know improve infrastructure. So many positive things resulted from that. They hate to be reminded that the U.S. came very close to um, insolvency in this regard, and Delano saved it. However, another thing people don't like to admit, uh, even on especially on like the left aisle of political discourse here. Franklin D. Roosevelt came very, very close to becoming a dictator. Mm. And so the law had to be changed. What I didn't realize until, honestly, a couple of years ago, and I've been been studying presidential history for most of my life, is how stinking young he still was when he passed away. He was in his 60s. Yeah, very young for president. He could have gone like 20 more years in that job, which he probably would have. He would have, yeah. And he would have become similar to like a strong man. 
dictator would have been very dangerous for the country, to be honest. I, I, I see what you're saying there, Ben, and I, I totally understand the need to change the law just for precedent. Was there anything particularly dictator-ish about his behavior? He is regarded Absolutely. as a positive. Okay, uh-huh. there was. Yeah, okay. He, 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 tr- he tried to, what was what it? He tried to expand the Supreme Court from 9 to 23 yeah. because he didn't like the Supreme Court and stuff. Mm. He did some stuff. So a mixed bag a complex individual, obviously accomplished some very, very positive, important things, but then got maybe a little too big for his breaches. There's a lot of like, you know, <laughs> breaches. Andrew Jackson's obviously a horrible human being, but he was Andrew Jackson. People always want to come out and say he's like a terrible president. It was, you know, there's a lot of stuff he did was terrible, but he's a very impactful president. Mm. FDR is very impactful president. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Uh, we also know he was following the footsteps of his fifth cousin, Theodore Roosevelt, most famous for inspiring the stuffed teddy bear. And he he rose through the Senate. Uh, he, he was definitely a silver spoon boy, by the way. He rose through the Senate in 1910. He becomes assistant secretary of the Navy. Uh, he gets the VP nomination in 1920. Uh, in 1928, he is the governor of New York. He is elected amid the absolute terrible pandemonium of the Great Depression in 1932. Which is also how we know dictators often come to power. Yes. Uh, you know, when countries that you know are in, under states of duress and they are seen as the only person that can carry uh, the country through, right? Absolutely. I mean, this is, in, in these times of instability, the public, if they're, well, doesn't matter what kind of government they have. In times of instability, the public will increasingly question the status quo, right? Like the the French were starving and they said, is there a God? Is there a real reason that the monarchy should be in charge? Are they even qualified? And they decided the monarchy was not qualified. I would say they were also correct in that estimation. This is around the time, by the way, that a bunch of rich corporate interests conspire to overthrow the United States government and start a fascist regime. Uh, This was called the business plot today. No one was officially convicted because Congress was uh, the Congress members were for the most part puppets of big corporations and banking interests. But shout out to absolute piece of crap, Smedley Butler, who was a curmudgeon who saved the Save the country as we know it. Uh, check out our, our show, uh, Let's Start a Coup, for more at that. But these are very uncertain times. Okay, FDR is president. Uh, he launches this thing called the New Deal. And to be clear, to our earlier point, the New Deal program saved America, but they were intensely undemocratic, like the way they were pushed through. Uh, F- the public loves him, though. The the haves hate him, the have-nots love him. He gets reelected three more times, 1936, 1940, ending in a zero, and 1944. So he's at the wheel of power through the Great Depression and then through most of World War II. And uh, he has a lot of health problems as a result. We were talking in part one about how just four years in that job will absolutely wreck you. Oh, yeah. This guy has been wrecked four times he's been through the freaking ringer yeah uh, his health really had begun to deteriorate and on april 12th 1945 while uh, having a little sabbatical i guess uh, at uh, warm springs georgia he uh, succumbed to a cerebral hemorrhage yeah 
He sure did. And with him, uh, a unique part of American history also expires. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fast forward to one of the most famous presidents to die in office, to be assassinated, John F. Kennedy, John Fitzgerald Kennedy in 1960. He's really interesting in terms of election because he's a president at the dawn of what we could call the entertainment age. Right. You know, this is the famous presidential debate where people listening on the radio thought Nixon won and people watching television thought Kennedy won. He's kind of a celebrity, sort of a proto-Kardashian already when he is elected president. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of theater involved um, and not the same kind of theater that uh, that ended up taking Lincoln's life. This is very much uh, a the public kind of persona era, you know, because of the nature of, of, of television and broadcast. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And because of this dual existence as an American celebrity and as an American statesman, he occupies a very unique place in the mythos of the U.S. Now, if you look at just the boxes you want to tick for a president, he's He's got everything, right? He's a he's a Massachusetts boy. Uh, he graduates from Harvard. He's in the Navy. He sees combat in World War II. He comes up working as a Democratic uh, Boston area congressman. He moves up to the Senate. He's a blue blood, so he knows the people in power. He's intimately related with their families. He becomes a vice president, or he's nominated for the VP position in 1956. Doesn't work out. Eisenhower wins re-election, and then he gets in a high-profile contest against Eisenhower's VP, Richie Nixon. Oh, Richie boy. There's the debate, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, also, people don't like him because he's Catholic. Oh, that's a big deal, right? Yeah, we don't even think about that as being an issue necessarily, but at the time, it was super divisive. Um, He did win by a pretty narrow margin in the popular vote and became the first, very first, as you say, Roman Catholic president, and uh, his relatively short time, I mean, not as short as some of the presidents on our list, but still pretty short um, time in office. It was a very important time in American history. We had things like the Bay of Pigs, uh, the beginning of the Vietnam War, the Cuban Missile Crisis, of course, the Civil Rights Movement. um, And he was at the center of all of this. Therefore, you know, at the center of a lot of very divisive historical moments that kind of like stacked up upon one another. Yeah, yeah. And he was beefed up heavily with the CIA. Uh, due to the rampant corruption of the CIA and their ideological myopia. Uh, You can learn more about that in the fantastic series with our pals Rob Reiner and Soledad O'Brien called Who Killed JFK? For my money, it's the best podcast out there about those events. Heck, one of the best just sources out there. I mean, the level of research, there's stuff in that podcast that you really haven't seen reported or discussed in the way that they report and discuss it just about anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And similar to other presidents on the Tecumseh curse list, he dies early in office. It's November 22nd, 1963. He is struck by assassin's bullets as his motorcade strolls through Dallas He's the youngest man elected president. Again, that's an important distinction. He is also, as history proves, the youngest to die. There are, so he's probably one of the most famous, but there are a couple of other things where people will tell you the curse was broken. And one of those is Ronald Reagan. Let's flash back to, um, Uh, let's flash back to the times when Ronald Reagan could remember he was president. That's right. Uh, On February 6, 1911, um, he is born to Nell and John Reagan in Tampico, Illinois. Um, As we know, he was kind of really more so, I would say, even than than Kennedy. He was our really first kind of celebrity president because he was, in fact, much like a lot of the politicians that we're seeing in this whatever era we're in right now, an actor, a a public figure uh, unrelated to politics who then was able to 
able to capitalize on that notoriety and parlay that into a victory um, in in the, uh, the the public service. Kind People of thought it was an absolute snack pack, real know? smoke show. <laughs> and what campaigns are learning at this point, or what the kingmakers in the U.S. are learning, is that they can leverage parasocial relationships. The average American voter is not going to know a ton about policy. They're going to vote for someone that they see themselves in, someone that seems familiar, someone that they think they could hang out with. And so Ronald Reagan, despite not being qualified, uh, as qualified as many other presidential candidates, he is much more recognizable. It goes back to that quote. I'm, I'm now escaping me which president uh, this was associated with, but the idea of he looks like a president. Mm-hmm. You know, not only am I a president, but I also play one on TV. You know, I mean, that's like we're, we're starting to see that that capital, that social capital and that parasocial relationship you're talking about, Ben, is almost more important to the kingmakers than actual uh, political savvy and or qualifications. And it's interesting because it's like uh, this popped in my head when y'all were talking about this, but it's like. If you really look at like William Henry Harrison, when we started this episode, it's like, hey, this guy might not be a good president, but you know what he did? This popular thing, which in that time was killing killing Native, Native Americans, Americans. Right. but it, it's kind of like throughout this history, it's just it might look different, but it's the same thing that are getting these people elected. Yeah, yeah, and so it, it's a good observation. Also, he apparently breaks the curse because. He is the governor of California, and he gets reelected in 1970. Uh, in 1980, as some members of our audience may be call, recall, Ronald Reagan becomes the president. This point, we got to talk a little bit about the curse because, as you may remember, folks, Ronald Reagan almost got assassinated. John Hinckley Jr. Attacked Reagan uh, in the uh, while leaving the Hilton Hotel in D.C. Uh, Hinckley fires a 22 caliber revolver at the president. He does hit him. Reagan is wounded uh, indirectly. A bullet ricochets off the limo and it hits him right under the left, right under the left armpit. Uh, and then there are other. There, I think there are uh, three other people who are wounded during the shooting. And because of the high energy and the chaos and all the, you know, your endorphins are flowing and stuff, uh, Reagan doesn't even notice that he's been shot until he starts to cough up blood. Oof. But he recovers. Th- th- this assassin, too, just as a side note, wasn't he the guy who's obsessed with the actor Jodie Foster? Uh, I believe that's correct. And then I think partly he was doing this to, like, impress her. Yeah. He also... I'm still in the dark about this. I don't know how it happened, but he's no longer in jail. Hinckley had the juice to get out of jail for trying to kill the president. How does that work? He has a YouTube channel. <laughs> good, good on him. I hope he's he, getting some, he, uh, some of those YouTube dollars. He's a musician. He went on tour, I think, or he played That's some live That's right. Shows. But, but, but some, of the, some of his dates had been canceled because of it just being a little, a little problematic, perhaps, you know, yeah. to capitalize on the notoriety of being someone that uh, attempted to kill the president. But how did he get out? That's I, I feel like that's a one-way ticket up the river for the rest of your life. One would think. He must have some friends in high places. So sir. according to uh, his Wikipedia page, in 2016, a federal judge ruled that Hinckley could be released from psychiatric care. Right. But he got into psychiatric care because he had very good, expensive lawyers. I'm just saying the thing is fishy. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Yeah. But 
Reagan survives. He does survive. Uh, he recovers fully and returns to the White House after 12 days away. And I think that some of this uh, plays into some of the political uh, fiction um, of Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, yeah. Shout out West Wing. Uh, and with this, the not not just the belief in Tecumseh's curse, but its hold over the American public is broken. George W. Bush uh, never gets assassinated. A guy throws shoes at him once. And that's in um, Middle Eastern culture. You have to realize that the shoe is picked on purpose because it's very I went very down shameful. a rabbit hole on that guy. Yeah. That guy That guy is interesting. He's, he's fascinating. He's, well, he's intense. What's also interesting is in that clip, the way that Bush ducks that shoe. He's fast. He's wild. He's laughing by the, second, by the second one. He's actually laughing, yeah. which is like, Because okay. he realizes it's not a gun or a bomb. But also, you know, George W. Bush is very interesting because he is a blue blood from Connecticut who managed to successfully impersonate an aw shucks Texan, like with the right. with right. the commitment of the to the bit that would make Andy Kaufman nod in approval. Completely agree. Nodding in approval over here. He also as well. paints stuff now. He does. He his bathtub painting is definitely. It is a interesting too how because of the perhaps even more egregious behavior of subsequent presidents that his legacy has sort of been reevaluated in a lot of ways. Like George W. Bush is not seen as the warmongering sociopath that he was at the time. You know, oh, don't don't worry. There is some subtle knocks I have on him in an upcoming brief. We're talking about his painting. He does a lot of uh, <laughs> he does. We do have to say it. He does a lot of charitable work. But then you if you are someone who is a bit more conspiratorial minded like me, I'm fine. I, I am self-aware here. Uh, you could ask how much of a president he actually was in comparison to Dick Cheney, by far the most powerful VP of American history. Power behind the throne. He was very much the police clap of presence. And I know police clap was his brother, but still, <laughs> I think please clap is so cringe and it's, that it affects the whole family. Now. It's still very, very difficult, of course, to be president, especially in this entertainment age where the president is supposed to be seen as a celebrity as much as a, a, a master of statecraft. And it's a very sad thing. But I, I think at this point, what we're proving is that in the case of every president who is alleged to have died as a result of Tecumseh's curse, what we see is the idea of the curse is um, the idea of the curse is often applied in retrospect. And the, there are a couple times where it appears that someone predicted it. I think in 1960, a journalist named Ed Cortoba or Coderba uh, hented about this president's dying at 20 year intervals in office. Uh, and that came true when Roosevelt died and when Kennedy was assassinated. However, given the ratio of deaths in the presidential office, the odds are pretty favorable. You know what I mean? This is a game that you could gamble on and seem somewhat prescient. By oh, yeah. Completely agree. No, it makes a lot of sense that this would be something that uh, would captivate the public imagination. And, um, you know, in no small part because of, you know, the, the press and the way it was chosen to be reported. Mm -hmm. And this idea of this idea of hexing and curses and so on, it, it originates again in the exoticization 
of uh, Native American communities. And the reason they were exoticized so much is to further rationalize the horrible way they were treated by the American government. Make someone seem less human. And then the things you do to them are therefore less inhumane. 100%. And again, we talked about how it was a a, a very uh, proactive choice to call this Tecumseh's curse and not like the curse of the prophet. Uh, And I'm sorry, I keep having a hard time. Uh, It's Tenskowatawas. Maybe it doesn't have the same ring to it. He was not considered to be as important a figure as Tecumseh. Therefore, revisionist history prevails. Especially because that's not even his real name. He changed his name as an adult. Right, right. His real name was Dave Davidson. The third. True facts. True facts. Uh, Also, the first American meteorologist. No one fact-checked us on any of that, by the way. Thank you very much. Speaking of thank yous, thanks again to our super producer and research associate for this episode, Mr. Max Williams. Alex Williams, who uh, composed this banging theme that you hear in your very ears right now. Christopher Asiotis, Yves Jeffcoat, uh, uh, Gabe Luzier. Yeah. Here in spirit. Gabe Luzier. How you doing, Gabe? Hope you're tuning in. Uh, shout out to his show, This Day in History Class. Uh, big thanks to sort of the Ronald Reagan of our podcast, Jonathan Strickland. He'll love that one. Uh, and uh, of course, AJ Bahamas, Jacobs. And, uh, and Noel, big, big thanks to you, man. This was this was a, a good two-parter. I really enjoyed this. Couldn't agree more. Thanks to you as well, Ben. Thanks to you out there, Ridiculous Historians. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.